you can say it's my opinion, but if you sell millions of books and somebody's life is affected because it's not true or something else happens, it may be covered by fair use in a copyright case, but it's certainly not under different claims. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join The Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to The Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and one of the things that some people would hear me say from time to time. And when I'm talking about an inexperienced author who is trying to navigate the process of writing, editing, selling their book, selling the rights to their book, and they're trying to do this on their own without expert help. And often they might make a move, which I have coined snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And one of the ways that this can happen is in the agreement itself. When you are signing an agreement, potentially with a traditional publisher, especially with a hybrid publisher, you need to be extra careful when you are signing away the license to publish your work. And so today, I have invited to share with you some of the key things that you need to know to protect yourself and your intellectual property, Alyssa Hecker. Now, Alyssa is an attorney who acts as general counsel to creatives, small businesses, solopreneurs, and entrepreneurs in their legal and business affairs issues. And part of that business is that she guides her author and illustrator clients through the thought process of what they want and what they don't want in a publishing agreement and helps them negotiate these agreements so that they can protect their intellectual property and other interests. So today, this is a very important episode if you want to make sure that your victory when you get published is a true victory and that you have covered yourself and your intellectual property so that you may enjoy your publishing success. Alyssa, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you here because as you know, intellectual property issues with copyright, when you're publishing a book, whether you're self-publishing, hybrid publishing, traditional publishing, these are vital issues that need to be addressed and considered. And to have you on is a boon for our whole audience. So I'm just delighted that you're here. Thank you. And so, of course, I'm so excited to get to the juicy stuff. But I'd like to have you share with our listeners a little bit about your background, because another thing that is unusual about you, and it's becoming more popular, but you are really working with solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. And I know from- And creatives. Yeah. And creatives. 
right? And I know from having been all three of those things for the past 30 plus years, that it can often be really difficult to find an attorney who understands the unique challenges that solopreneurs and creatives have versus a, a regular business or even a regular startup. So what led you to take on that focus? That was like the best leading question ever. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. Let's see. I was in-house counsel when I first started out for 10 years. And then when my oldest child was born, I went out on my own. So that's almost 19 years ago. I hung out a shingle. And although I've done work for big companies and medium companies, I found out that over time, so many of my clients were creatives or individuals or people who just had that super creative mindset and who didn't have a legal department or just needed a this or that. And after a while, it just snowballed. And I found out, particularly right around the pandemic started also, so, uh, even before then, so many of my clients were actually women whose kids were older, who were superpowers, brain trust, did not want to go back to work for the man or, or the big company and wanted to open their own companies. And each one opened something so different and so interesting. And the issues across the board are transferable to starting a business, whether you're starting a tech company or you're going to be selling widgets. Like a lot of this stuff is the same, whether you're providing services or products. So it's really become kind of like my niche. And I'm a big proponent of relationships. So what I do is when I work for bigger companies or medium-sized companies, I work as one of the attorneys. When I have my solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and small businesses, I'm the go-to general counsel or the go-to entertainment counsel or IP counsel, which means that we have long-term relationships. And that's really what it's all about because I like to look at the big picture. It's not one legal transactional issue. It's who are you? What are your grand plans? Who's in your family? What is your... like? All of that stuff goes into the thing about, do we draft this agreement this way? What do we think about long-term? Do you have a staff? Do you not have a staff? Do you want, you're like, there are different things. So long answer to a short question. I just really like working with solopreneurs and entrepreneurs <laughs> and, and folks, because I really feel like we're building things together. Yeah. Well, that's so, very cool. That's very yeah. cool. And I think it really is different though, right? Because when you're working with a mid-sized company or even a small business with 50 employees, which mm -hmm. still classifies as small, it's different. It's very different in terms of what the particular solopreneur, founder, yeah. CEO, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, titles. It just has different needs, different. Concerns. Very different. And also it's, am I scalable? And if so, how do I do it? Do I not mm -hmm. want to grow too big? If I want to grow, all of those things are, it's a very different culture feel. And sometimes I also have to work with founders who may have a hard time leaving behind the full control and figuring out, well, I really like to be the creative one and not the ops one. So maybe I can't, all of that is part yeah. of it. It's not just the legal issues. It's like legal, it's business. And uh, like I said, it's relationships. I really feel invested in all of these businesses. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's almost like you're also kind of a coach in a way. A therapist. In yes. <laughs> yes, that is for yeah. sure. Coaching. Yeah. Yeah. That's I can true. relate to that. Helping with books that sometimes goes, sometimes feels like that. <laughs> Part All of right. what I do is also pre-publication review. So I do work with a lot of authors, not just on the publishing contracts, but anyone who's writing a memoir or nonfiction mm. or anyone who has to write rights and clearances and stuff. That's also part of it because the individual authors are also 
businesses on their own, this is not doing it for fun. Uh-huh. I mean, you may be, yeah. but it's a business. No, absolutely. Actually, yeah. let's go ahead and dive into that because that's a question that I get asked a lot mm-hmm. is, do I need to get permission to mention someone in my book? When do I need to get permission to quote someone or not quote some, those kinds of things. And that's such a big, we could spend a whole hour on that. Yeah, but that's huge. So when you're doing the review, let's just maybe talk about that process. Sure. When you're doing that review, what kinds of things are you looking for and why is it important like that the author be protected? Right. From those- so there, part of this is I'm going to answer this like a lawyer. It depends. Um, <laughs> it depends on what kind of book, what's the purpose? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Are the people to whom you're referring or about whom you're referring alive? Are they dead? In what state did they die if they're dead? All of that is part of it. If it's not, the more you head towards nonfiction, the more important it is to make sure that you are not doing anything like defamation or slander? Is the person a public figure? Is this person only known around the neighborhood? Is it likely that it could possibly affect their reputation, harm them in business? Could you redo part of it, rename? Just changing a name is not necessarily enough if the person is recognizable. When it comes to quoting lyrics, even in fiction (laughs) or things like that, it's always good to get permission. Unless it's in the public domain. If you're going to quote a song, you better love it. Because yes, although if it's in the public domain, meaning if it was published prior to, yeah, yeah, if it's old, like prior to 1928 (laughs) kind of thing, then you don't have to get permission and you don't have to worry about the recording rights because you're only using the underlying musical composition, the actual lyrics of it. Right. So it really, it is an absolute case by case basis. And also um, part of it is also, are you self-publishing? Is it hybrid? Is it a formal publishing agreement because the major publishing agreements, whether the big houses or independent publishers will ask you as the author to represent and warrant and indemnify the publisher and everybody involved in all the affiliates against any third party lawsuits for copyright infringement, intellectual property infringement of any kind, defamation, slander, you name it, you're signing away all of that stuff. And It's really important to have some kind of preliminary review. What I do is a full analysis, and then it's like a risk-reward analysis. What can you do? What I say you definitely shouldn't do. And I would also say, although a lot of the bigger publishing houses will have in-house attorneys do a cursory review, do not rely on that. Uh Because you're still promising that you will cover all lawsuits if something's found out, and they don't do. Your best interest is not the publisher's best interest in terms of having your legal representation. Yeah, that is so true and such an important point. And, you know, what I have found with my clients is that a lot of times if they're saying, most of our clients are actually, let's just say all of our clients are nonfiction, but a lot of times it might just be in how you say it that can make all the difference. So it's not necessarily about taking something out. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, if you're going to be mentioning people and they are alive, it's great to get releases. I'm a huge proponent of releases because then they're thrilled. You can thank them in acknowledgments. Also, they are thrilled. And then you have that piece of paper, which is a wonderful protection. So true. And I've had authors be kind of like afraid to ask or whatever. I'm like, look, everybody wants to be mentioned in a book. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless it's really bad. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then you just better have. Unless it's a tell-all, then it's an unauthorized biography. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, we don't do tell-all memoirs either. (laughs) (laughs) Although also, I do have to say, the closer you come to basically saying, this is my opinion, the less likely it is to be slander. However, there are many different right of publicity and privacy, different kind of statutes that you have to look at. And sometimes it depends on state by state, but yeah. And the more positive things you're going to say, the less likely there's going to be harm for sure. Exactly. But you're right. A speculative tone. I'm glad to hear you say this. I, You know you're right. But it's nice <laughs> to have confirmation. And I think the other thing, too, that I'm often warning my clients about is that you never write what someone else's motivation was. Yes. Because <laughs> you have- You can no say, I think this is the case. Perhaps. Maybe yeah. it was this. But I don't know. Unless you're quoting someone and you either have permission or one of the other things that's important is if this is and in particular with the nonfictions, if you take very good notes Mm -hmm. and you follow up with your notes, if there's ever a case that someone comes after you and you're able to bring up the notes, like, for example, I'll go back to defamation, which, again, is not the only tort, not the only like right of privacy or publicity statute, but it's a big Truth is the defense to defamation. So if you have actual quotes, if you have recording, I almost said tapes, if you have recordings, if you have, you know, any kind of thing like that to back you up, that's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Just don't tell the reader what this other person was thinking unless you absolutely know for sure. Oh, and also (laughs) in the releases, one of the things I always put in releases is the subject doesn't have the right to review and make changes. That's right. So that's, that's right. you have the ability to use it as long as you're using it in the right way. Yeah. yeah, that's a great thing to add to the release. When I did my book, I'll just throw this on here because when I did my book, I went ahead because I told some client stories in the book. Mm-hmm. And obviously I have confidentiality with my clients. And so I did send them their excerpt. And I said, this is what I'm going to say about you and our work together. And can you just send me back whether I this is good for you and by permission? And every single person, of course, granted that, and they were thrilled. I think that's a great practice. If you again, if it's positive, yeah. and you know that they, it all, a lot of this depends on the relationships that you have, mm-hmm. and then having them write back in writing, yes, this is great, <laughs> is another layer of protection. Exactly. Yep. And then, of course, you send them free copies or whatever, which is oh, always very yes, nice. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then they're telling, guess who they're doing, what they're doing. They're telling their friends mm-hmm. they're in the book and maybe buying some copies for their friends. So it's also a good way to get excitement going around your book. All right. So we talked a bit about the liable issue and the defamation potential. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see creators make with regard to protecting their own intellectual property? So are you talking about in a publishing contract or just in general? Well, I think let's focus on the publishing contract, but I'm imagining that it probably applies in other ways as well. But yeah, let's focus on publishing. Okay. I would say, first of all, signing an agreement without understanding it, without reviewing it with a legal professional. It boggles my mind in so many ways, especially for early authors. I don't want to say young authors because any first or second time around author just wants to get the deal done. Mm-hmm. and is afraid to negotiate and will negotiate with themselves before going in. And it is really important to understand the obligations, the rights, everything that you're to which you're agreeing and what you're giving away and what you're reserving. Usually you don't reserve anything. 
if you have an advance, what does that mean? Are you going to be paying that back for the rest of your, like, there's so many different things. So I would say the biggest mistake would be to sign just like, I'm so happy, blah, blah, blah. And then not understand what any of that means. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that something also to keep in mind, because what you described sounds a little bit more like a hybrid or self-publishing situation. But honestly, even when you have a literary agent whose Mm -hmm. job it is to represent you, Mm -hmm. typically they understand your relationship to the book, but they don't necessarily understand how the book fits into the rest of your picture, like your business. Right. And so this is why I have every single one of my clients have IP publishing attorney mm-hmm. read their book contract before they sign it mm-hmm. and have that conversation about this is my primary way of earning a living. Mm-hmm. This is how I use my intellectual property in my business yep. that's in the book. And I'll tell you, I had one client who turned down a deal because she would have been giving away for a $200,000 advance. She would have been giving away the rights to use her $2 million a year business IP. I'm glad you said that because one of the things that I definitely say, especially if there's a really crappy deal that comes in, is there's just as much power in saying no as yes. And you have to know your worth and you have to know, again, where is this fitting in for you? Also, what are the deadlines of when you have to get certain things in? One of the things that I see a lot of people want to do is they just want to agree to everything, including all options, including all rights of first refusal, including all rights. So that's production, that's merchandising, that's everything that has absolutely nothing to do with book publishing. And those are the first things I cross out of every agreement. Especially if you're entering a new relationship with a new publisher and you don't know how you're going to be working together, limit it to one book. There may be an option for a right to consider, but you want to just say book publishing on certain dates, this is the term. Then we talk about English rights, North America, this or that. We want to keep it in to see, is this going to work? If the relationship works and things are successful. And also, what is the publisher giving to you? The author, what are the publisher's obligations? It's not all about what am I delivering to the publisher? What is the publisher giving back to me? If I'm getting a small advance and the publisher may be setting up a couple of book talks here and there, there's not much going on and I have to pay for my flights or I have to give up this or that. There's a lot of back and forth. Like you said, what is your time worth? What are the expectations? Can they cancel the contract if you don't show up somewhere? Or if something happens, those are important things to consider. Or can you cancel the contract if they don't publish in the time frame? Yes, that's very Um, important. There needs to be, not only does there need to be the, you have to publish in a certain time frame, very often publishers will say we can have kind of a flexible period after perhaps. And then is it worth it to you to be almost held prisoner depending on, it may be, it may be if you get a million dollar advance and it's not that much time, it may be worth it. But that's all part of the formula to figure out whether it works for you. Yeah. One thing I'll just add to that, because this is something I think is probably the most important of all. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. You're right. (laughs) But never, ever sign away your copyright. The publisher is purchasing, and this is any kind of publisher from the big five all the way down Mm -hmm. to a hybrid, tiny pay for play publisher, but they are purchasing the license. To your I'm so glad you said that. They are yeah, licensing. They are they're not, not yep. buying your copyright. Correct. And Maybe it's interesting because this goes back to, I had an 
a conversation with an illustrator. Very often illustrators and authors come to me after the fact they've been burned. And now they're like, okay, I need a lawyer to look because she had done the illustrations for our children. And this publisher went off and manufactured overseas all of these toys and different things with her illustrations. They were not of high quality. She had no creative control. They were doing certain things also that she didn't necessarily agree with how they were doing it. And it was her copyright license that was part of the publishing agreement. And uh-huh. she's like, what can I do? And I'm like, at this point, until the term is up, you really have very little, if no recourse. So your copyright is not just what you write down. It's mm-hmm. all, there's a huge list of rights, including Absolutely. language and territory. Yep. Like I said before, production, screenplay, stage, yep. all of that stuff that frankly, Unless you're a well-established author and you have an excellent agent and an excellent attorney who could negotiate for you, do not belong in the publishing. Yeah. And that's the whole key. Those are Mm -hmm. the things that your agent will negotiate. If you have a good agent, they'll negotiate every single line because, oh, you want audio rights? Well, that's going to be more money than the advance. Oh, you want want the option on the second book? That's more money in the advance. And so- all of those you want to buy. And also, do you want to be the voice in the ebook? Be able to be part yeah. of the decision making of who is? Yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. That you can negotiate. And then you can sell either just the US rights or you can sell the world rights to the publisher. And all of these are reflected in that bottom line number in the advance. And they shouldn't just be given over. Right. And if you have a multi-year and an and or an option, it should be a much higher advance or certain amount of royalties or once it's recouped, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, in the traditional world, the license is for as long as the book is in print. Yes. Depends on the other rights. If you're granting other rights, those are different percentages and those may be different. Exactly. And those could be different timeframes. Absolutely. Yeah. But the book, and of course you can repurpose your content. And then you also, by the way, have to define what is in print. Because that is one thing that I've seen also. Do you have 10 copies sitting in a bookstore somewhere? Define what that means. Is oh, it literally in print? Is it an audiobook? Is it an archival copy? Because sometimes the bigger publishers will fight back and say, no, it's in print. We can do another run, you know? Oh, so it's important to say fewer than X number of copies in existence at blah, 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 or something like that. Oh, interesting. So speaking of defining, let's go over to the idea of because I see this in contracts from time to time, where the author's royalties are calculated based on a percentage of net proceeds. And I've always wondered... All those deductions. (laughs) What constitutes a legitimate deduction from the gross sales to come up with the net proceeds? Uh, Because this seems to me to be a big area where authors could get burned. Yeah. I often put in, because usually it says net proceeds without a good definition or with a very expansive definition, which leaves it very open to interpretation and the publisher will just take everything. So I definitely go back. And again, it depends on the author and your negotiating power, because if you are a first time author, you have very little negotiating power. The more established you get, the more you're able to carve out or specifically define And that's unfortunately just the nature of the business. But I think that's super important because there are certain things and that goes back to what is the publisher's obligations to you? So is the publisher going to be packaging 
shipping, making sure certain things are stocked, setting up your certain things are legitimate deductions. There are things like when I was back, initially, I worked in the music business when I was in house and the record companies, even then, when there were no records being pressed, had breakage clauses in the recording agreements where they would say you have to pay X number because the records break in transit. We're in digital music. Like they're, they're still very often in those contracts, the fact that they will deduct X amount for breakages. You have to read your publishing contract also to see, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Is this something that will be happening? And very often they'll be like, well, why is it in there? Well, it's always been in there, but it's okay <laughs> to take it out. We just always said no to taking it out. Well, there's a first time for everything. Right. Take it out. <laughs> it doesn't apply here. And then very often people are like, I don't even know why it's there. So it is always very important to question why. And again, figure out what do you want out of this whole arrangement? Yeah, I'd say the parallel example in publishing would be, like I said, I don't see this in the traditional houses, but definitely in the more vanity press or hybrid Mm -hmm. house where they will charge the author buyback fees. So Mm -hmm. if a bookstore orders a certain number of books and they don't sell, The way the industry works is the publisher has to buy them back from the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a line item where the publisher would deduct from your proceeds. And you can try to limit that too, Mm -hmm. because you also want to make sure that they're not necessarily shipping too many out, or they're actually using their best efforts to promote and sell your book. And they're not focusing on the next big thing that came in and you're just kind of dropped. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because I just don't think. I hope this will really help our listeners because I think that when you're going into the process and it's just all new and exciting, these can be things that, like you said, first of all, you don't know what you don't know, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're all of a sudden looking at this contract, I hope this will help people understand a little bit better what they're seeing. Agreed. Um, And it's like with any business, and I'm sorry to cut, but with any business, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. It's important to have your trusted advisors around you. So like, I'm not going to sit down and write a book that I can edit. I can legal, (laughs) I can do all of that stuff, but I really don't have the discipline or the wherewithal to really do that. I know that's not my strength, but I can help you get to where you need to go to be successful so that you can do what you do best and not have to worry about that. But one of the things that I really always make sure my clients, because it's so important, whether I'm negotiating, they're negotiating, an agent is negotiating, that they understand everything. They understand the why, they understand why they're asking, they understand what is negotiable, what you can give back, what is non-negotiable, what do you want? It's just so hard to just watch somebody sign something without, when they say, oh, it's all legal, whatever. But it's really (laughs) their lives, their livelihoods, their copyrights, their reputations. Yeah. And it is so important. It really is. It really is. And you can accidentally sign away your whole business if you're not Mm -hmm. careful. So it's really important. So on the other side, let's talk a little bit about, because we started to tap into this, but I think this is another area where authors need to be really careful. And that is utilizing other people's intellectual property in your books, quoting. And like you said, there's all different kinds of quoting, right? There might be quoting a reference to back Mm -hmm. up a point that you're making, which is one kind of quoting. Mm -hmm. Another kind of quoting might be, oh, I think it'll be cute to start every chapter with some lyrics from a Nirvana Mm -hmm. song. Some of them 
I bet our listeners can guess which one is more expensive. (laughs) 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 Well, you know what? There are such things as gratis licenses or certain kind of, I like to be creative. Mm. When it comes to music, yes, usually you have to get some kind of payment and you need to give attribution in credits at the end of the book. But a lot of it also depends on relationships. A lot of it depends on why you're using it, how much you're using it, for what purpose. Same thing for photographs. By the way, if you're writing something and it's about you and your business and you have pictures of yourself at a lectern or doing a TED Talk, if you didn't take those pictures or you don't have an assignment with a work for hire clause from the photographer, you can't use them without permission. So Mm -hmm. there are things more than just quotes. There are other parts that you may want to include in your book where you have to make sure, or if you want to put a picture of, if you're writing a book about art and you want to put a picture of a work of art that is not from the Renaissance, but something from the 20th, 21st century, you have to be really careful and make sure you have the right from the artist, the right from the photographer who took the picture. Mm -hmm. Potentially, if there's something else there, if there's somebody standing in the picture, do you have the right to use that person's likeness? So there are many different layers of permission. Let me that ask you, you this, because there is under the idea of fair use, this is something that I find very confusing. So, I mean, under the idea of fair use, you can quote or cite, or if you're, or sample, perhaps if you are doing criticism, I think is one or um, newsworthiness, certain criticism, a parody. A now parody. understand fair yeah. use is a defense to a legal action. You only raise fair use if you're being sued as a defendant. So you can't affirmatively say, hey, it's fair. If something's in the public domain, you can use it. That's That's, after a certain date. That's if the government creates it. That's certain things. Or if someone says, I give free reign, where it's basically a a free license, basically. However, it's. Fair use, like in a newspaper, if I'm going to report on a story, I can use a picture, I can use a quote, that is considered an exception. But to put in a book, it not usually, it really will depend. If it's a parody, that is usually one of the defenses, if you're sued, that you can raise, but it has to actually make fun of the underlying work. You can't uh-huh. just change something. You have to right. actually make fun of the actual thing. Mm-hmm. And that is really hard and very case dependent and yeah. fact dependent and judge dependent <laughs> on whether <laughs> it become it is considered fair use or not. So and criticism you know, is similar too, right? You can criticism is similar, but again, you have to be careful. Are you crossing that line of yeah. What are the different violations of a personal's right to visit? Are you doing tortious interference with contract? Are you criticizing how someone does business? You can say it's my opinion, but if you sell millions of books and somebody's life is affected because of it and it's not true or something else happens, it may be covered by fair use in a copyright case, but it's certainly not under different claims. Oh yeah. And I meant criticism like of the work, not of the person. You can do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I found also when I was writing my book, I just either reached out and asked like anybody that I wanted to cite or quote, because I didn't have that much. I just reached out or if it was somebody I knew was going to say no or charge me a fortune, like the Mm -hmm. New York times, I just rewarded it. (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely ways to get around right. things. And sometimes you have to actually quote them or right. directly reference them. 
Right. Um, but sometimes, depending on, on who you want to use, you don't have that option. You have to reach out or you have to try to find or you have to use in legal terms like best efforts to try to find someone where you can yeah. actually demonstrate. I really went through so many places to try to find you to try to ask permission, that kind of thing. Oh, where that's you can interesting. Really right? So you can document. So that's something. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. So yeah, I mean, it's not the end all in the defense, but it's definitely like, I really, 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 really tried to do this the right way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. We could call this episode. It's not what you say. It's how you say it (laughs) (laughs) for a lot of this. Yeah. And I also think it's important not to silence yourself, but to actually know the right way to go about things. And also sometimes people are just going to say no. And then it's the risk reward do I do it anyway? Is there a way to be creative to change it? Or is it just better? I mean, I had one client who was dealing with, there was an adoption issue and then there was a family abroad and there was a family here. And there are people who are painted in very poor ways. I was like, there may just be people who you don't need. They're extemporaneous characters. They don't add anything to your story. Yeah. Get rid of all of the things that are potential problems. Absolutely. And another thing So get rid of the people who aren't essential. I agree. And another thing I'll add to that is, this is something I learned from my mentor, David Wise, who was an investigative reporter. And we would come across some very sensitive information. And sometimes it was essential to the story. And other times it was maybe interesting to the Mm -hmm. story or titillating to the story, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't essential to the story. And then it's even not even a matter of the legality. Right. Just ethically ask yourself, is it worth it? to potentially cause pain for the family members who are going to read this just so we can share this one titillating detail. And his decision was always no in those cases because he was very old school and classy. But I would really encourage people to carry that forward because it's not about just hurting people just to be entertaining. Right. And also that also can curb your own potential success in the future because people won't want to talk to you. Yeah, that's also true. And in his investment, I mean, your reputation is everything. Yeah. And a lot of people trusted him. And that's probably part of why. So that's a really good point. So another tactic that I have found can be really useful is like you said earlier, change, not just the names, but change identifying details of people. You can do that Mm -hmm. as long as you say you did it. So don't be James Fry in a million little pieces and pretend the whole thing is true. <laughs> or you could say, you know, this is an amalgam of many people who yes. I've known in this particular business. Or you can, or this you is can representative of the industry. Of them. Or you can say, I have changed specific. These are real people. Mm-hmm. And I've changed enough information so they would not be identifiable. So the mm-hmm. facts are true. Mm-hmm. But the particulars of the details, like how they look, what the name are, where they live, those things have all been altered. So another great example of how this was handled was in Susan Jane Gilman's book, Undress Me in the Temple of Heaven, which was about her adventures in China. And some of the people that she came across and the stories that she told, that their lives would have been endangered if she revealed their names and who they were because they helped her and her traveling companion get through some situation. Mm -hmm. And so it can be really a matter of life and death. So it's- Yeah. You're not worried about being sued in that case. You're worried about people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. So having a reader like you is really important. 
Well, I also get the bonus of I love to read. So this is always an <laughs> exciting thing when I get something like that. <laughs> cool. And do you get a lot of those kinds of projects? I imagine they must be more time consuming. <laughs> yes, I get a few a year. Usually it's nonfiction it. and memoirs. And, you know, a lot of folks in the fiction world don't really need it. So it's not a tremendous True. amount. True. All right. Oh my gosh. I can't believe how this time has flown. All right. So I'm going to jump to my final signature question, which if you listen to my podcast much, you would already know what it's going to be. But it is, what have I not asked you that you would love to answer? That's a very good question. How you can get in touch with me if you need anything. Oh, we'll have that in, we'll have that in the show notes. I think the biggest question we sort of touched on it, but not specifically, is going into a negotiation with really thinking through, what do I want? What are my non-negotiables? I mean, that's really important because a lot of time people are just overwhelmed or excited or things like that, but not actually sitting down and seeing how this figures out as a puzzle piece in the grand scheme of things. And I think that before going through everything to actually have all of the priorities in place so that before you read the agreement, mm. you understand what is the schedule like? What kind of money makes sense to me? How many years? Like just kind of write it down on a yellow pad and figure out mm. and then read the agreement and mm. see, because normally before you have an agreement, you actually have some conversations if you're with an established mm -hmm. publisher, obviously yeah. self-publishing is different and those agreements are all over the place. And yeah, definitely you can, true. by the way, yeah. you can also cross things out of those agreements. I've done self-publishing agreements where oh, yes, you can yeah. absolutely negotiate things in and out and they have option A, B, C, D, but there are to, just to really know what you want and what you don't want, because yeah, people true. don't think they have the right to do that or it just doesn't occur to them to do it. And it's really important. And I love what you're saying about think about it before you've read the agreement, mm -hmm. because then you can think about it in a dispassionate way. You're mm -hmm. not, your emotions aren't involved. You're not weighing what you want against what you already know that they want. Right. Cause those things can really hold you back from asking yeah. for what you want. And also if you have an agent yeah. to talk about the big picture of what else are you doing? Absolutely. What is the plan? How is this going to fall into not just the schedule, but your brand, Yeah, uh, all of this kind of stuff. So that's so part important. of like a brand. Not that it has to be, but if it goes towards your business in particular, and we're talking about a lot of authors who do books while they're doing other things, running companies, Absolutely. doing TED Talks, traveling around the world, that it's very important to know how this fits into the big scheme and the brand strategy. And I love that you said that because that's really the key is your agent probably won't bring it up with you the business side. Yeah. They're focused on your book and selling your book and that's their primary job. So it's mm -hmm. understandable, but for you to bring it up with your agent and say, Hey, let me tell you a little bit about how I'm going to use this book in my business mm -hmm. and the things I absolutely cannot give away, mm -hmm. no matter how nice the advance looks. No secret sauce. Right. <laughs> because yep. if the agent knows that going into the negotiation, before there's an offer, they can be a stronger advocate for mm -hmm. you and protect those things for you yep. rather than having to negotiate those asks away. Yep. They could just preempt those asks if they know ahead of time what your limits are and what your bottom lines are. Yep. Yeah, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, thank you so much. This is fun. This thank is, you. Such fun to have you and 
so, so valuable. This is going to be like, this should be recommended listening for every single person who's (laughs) ever thought about writing a book. And I just want to thank you again for being with us on The Author's Corner. I really appreciated this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 